Hello, everyone. How you doing? Welcome to another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. As I have said now, for close to 200 episodes, I am here with another phenomenal guest. And this is a, a really exciting conversation. Um, in some ways, for those that, that know me and my work and stuff that I do in Iowa, and a lot of you know me of my work beyond that, you know, this is I'm hanging out with somebody that uh, our paths cross quite a bit. And so we've had lots of these conversations thinking about education and learning. And it's, it's, it's you know, a different feeling when you hit the record button uh, when it's people that you you see time and time again. And uh, but it's also really exciting to to bring this voice to light for so many of you who are not aware of this individual um, and all the, the crazy work that she's got going on um, in her work, trying to truly make some powerful impacts in education. And I'm here today uh, with Andrea Stewart. And so Andrea, I I have your, your bio. I know about you, but a lot of people listening in who maybe um, haven't heard of you for the first time, we know it's always the fun question, but uh, like I ask every guest when we start, who are you? What do you do? And what in the world do you have going on? Yeah, Aaron, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here um, kind of grokking through these things with you again, like we do so often. Um, I'm founder and CEO of Learning Couture, which is a company that partners with states, districts, schools, and higher eds uh, to customize the learning redesign process. We have a platform that personalizes each educator's learning journey as they build new schools for personalizing learning for students. So really having them immersed in and living that experience we want our young learners to have. And what do I do? That's a big question. So I, <laughs> I think I'm, I'm just going to say that I'm a change agent and I help young and adult learners become agents of change too. I love that. And I want to get into uh, learning couture. Am I saying that word right? And I want to make sure that the audience knows what that word means. I remember the first time I heard you uh, unveil that, I think I saw it on one of the social media platforms. I'm like, I had to like Google what that word even was. So I want to get to that. But before we do, uh, you know, I am that nerdy superhero, uh, like comic books and all that kind of stuff. I've been asking people uh, their origin story and that in itself, obviously could be a whole podcast, but I think it always sets a, a, a great stage in the recent guest about this in terms of like, how did you get to this point where you, you, you believe in education, you believe in this change that your company is after, and then you took the huge risk and leap that a lot of people in life, whether it's creating a business such as what you're doing, or it's just taking an initiative and something they've 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 always thought of and been excited about. We live in a lot of fear. How did you get to that point where you're like, I'm doing it, I'm I'm going in and I'm gonna see what happens? I mean, how did you get to where you are now? And then I we're definitely gonna talk about that because you're really in this interesting phase of of you know making this stuff happen to help education and people be change makers, just like you said. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a long journey. Um, you and I both are in the Midwest. I was born and raised here in Iowa. I have deeply Midwest values of hard work, learning, servant leadership, being useful to others, right? Like all of that is is sort of 
um, baked into who I am. Um, I did think for a hot minute about going into genetic engineering when I was going off to school um, at that time, way back in the day, I'm going to date myself a little bit here. <laughs> Scientists were first mapping the human genome, which seemed fascinating to me and something I thought I could help with. But it was within a year and a half that I was called to education. Um, and I instead became a high school English teacher, uh, which I did for many years. I'm actually at this point, 25 years into my um, career as an educator, but I, I left the classroom uh, to coordinate a gifted program. I'm really thinking about how to help um, everybody see them as learners, um, needing this continuum of that multi-tiered systems of supports that we talk about for struggling learners, but also helping people see that for our learners with uh, needs that are beyond the core. Um, and that's where I learned about competency-based education and got really hooked on the belief that the most important thing we should be doing in education is ensuring that learning happens anytime, any place, by any method, and at any pace uh, for all learners, right? So that was, I learned about it then, realized it was not just for talented and gifted, it was for all learners, and, and I dove right in and was able to co-lead some change on that in a district. And that work gave me the opportunity to jump into some leadership roles at the state level with our Department of Education, and the national level as well, I got to go outside of Iowa and and help districts kind of move, you know, into that phase of their their next school improvement journey. And so I was I became a consultant um, here at a regional area education agency in Iowa, supporting districts here, but also nationally, um, which gave me a lot of perspective on the many ways that you can make this happen in districts. And so I got to kind of walk beside districts who are trying to do school differently really focusing on learning instead of seat time. And as I was kind of moving through that, I was I was probably 35 when I realized that, yeah, I was an educator and I love being able to do what I do, but in my heart of hearts, I'm a designer, I'm a builder, I'm a creator, and I'm most happy when I'm doing that or helping other people engage in that kind of innovation as well. And so that's what brought me to where I am today. I founded Learning Couture so I could redesign the nature of adult learning pathways and really reimagine that to become, become something that's really empowering for you know, teachers who it's, it's really hard in education right now. And how do we help them feel like professional learning is as helpful as it can be to lighten their lift? And, and this helps in that role, I guess, I empower learning organizations to, to build a roadmap that helps them move away from traditional to more transformative models that put learners, both young learners and adult learners at the center. Okay, so there's a lot there. First thing, I didn't know that about you, about being interested in genetics. And boy, you go from that to high school <laughs> language arts teacher. And I'm sure there's a really great uh, joker parallel about still getting at to the heart of DNA, working with high school kids every day. I'm just not smart enough on the whim to figure it out. But you're probably still doing some genetic work in a, a you know humanitarian way um, through that journey. And so here you are, you, you've, you've had all these perspectives. And one of the things that I've loved about the guests I've had on the show is just how robust people's perspectives are. And as much as I, I tend to think that people don't leave their areas, and but like they do get out and they do network so much. I find this so incredibly fascinating. You know, you've had that. Um, and now here you are. Um, with your, your 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 business here, so first, oh, I'm gonna kind of stack a couple of questions, but I think they all inter interplay for you to kind of figure out how you want to navigate. One, like, what in the world is learning couture? Like, 
what is it as a business and, and, and what is your, your heart and passion behind that based on kind of your perspectives? And two, because I know a little bit about what it is, um, you know, why is that important that, that you've, you've taken this step to do this around this idea of, I'm thinking about what you said, teachers are tired, actually scratch that, just anybody in education is tired because it's not just educators, it's the coaches and the admin and the parent, it's all the people involved, we're, we're, we're tired, it's, it's, it's tough, it's challenging, it's also very rewarding, I mean, it's not a terrible job, but there's, there's a lot going on, stakes are high, and yet here we are, there's folks like you looking to make change, trying to push deeper learning, trying to figure out how do we create real world situations, applications in the classroom to create more engagement and inquiry and that kind of stuff going on, making sure teacher's PD isn't just a waste of time where we check in and check out. And we've all been there long enough to know that's how it feels. That's the mindset we come in. That's a lot of smorgasbord. I just kind of word vomited at you, but like with that world, what is it that you're trying to do and how are you going about trying to do that? Because I think this this is the, the, the exciting part of, of actually seeing the attempts to make a change. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So learning couture, let's just talk about couture a little bit. Like you said, yeah. it's it's sort of why that word, right? So it really comes from the idea I'm I'm sort of obsessed, right? Right now with customizing, right? Couture fashion is fashion that's been customized and it's 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 high quality. It's a just right fit right? Just for me. And so learning couture is all about customizing learning experiences, um, both for the educators, right? Learning how to move us to a more authentic learning experience and for our young learners. So couture means it's custom. It's just right. It's just in time, not just in case, right? Like that's where that comes from. And it's also high quality. Couture fashion is high quality fashion that like it really, it's making a statement, right? It's, it's being bold. And so all of those things are true about the company. And so what we do is we, we work as partners and walk beside uh, states and districts and schools and actually our higher ed partners as well in teacher preparation and admin preparation, thinking about how do we inspire districts to build this custom fit, right, for both their young and adult learners. Um, and really where we, where we sort of start with a lot of those folks is the idea of it is heavy right now. What are the things that make it lighter? It's, it's engagement, right? And when you think about Gallup polls that talk about two out of every three teachers and, and students being disengaged from their experiences, it's devastating because teachers are in education because they too have a calling, right? They're drawn to it because they love what they're doing, not, um, not just for a paycheck, right? It's not a job, it's a calling. So what we help them build is the idea of deeper learning and how do we get to deeper learning for both young and adult learners and, and what is that? Um, so, it, you know, we think about deeper learning as the ability to learn um, how to learn and apply that learning within and beyond the walls of school, both in predictable ways, but also in unpredictable, authentic ways, right? That are That's the way the world works. We can't predict always uh, what the outcomes would be. And that requires certain skills and dispositions. They've been called many things over the years. Uh, 21st century skills, we hear that kind of term, but we're pretty far into the 21st century to not yet have built those skills with kids. Um, in Iowa, we have the universal constructs, as you already know, and I know you do that work with schools already, but really digging into critical thinking, creativity, collaboration, being adaptable, right? Those things that will serve them um, no matter what context they're in as they move forward into their futures. And that work matters because the 
future of living, learning, and working is unpredictable. We can't predict the jobs that are going to be around in five and 10 years from now. And so we need to make sure that we're building the types of skills and dispositions that help our young learners be both economically viable, make a living, right, that lets them live well and personally fulfilled as they're connected to that work um, in their communities, whether that be local, national, or international as we move forward. And it, you know, to do that, we have to do work that's deeply engaging for both educators and students. And that requires, as you said, hands-on, inquiry-based, cross-disciplinary, right? But the word we're using at Learning Couture a lot is experiential in nature. They have to live the learning that they want to be able to adopt and adapt, right, to novel situations. And now more than ever, it really matters that we re-engage everyone with that process. Well, I love how you you framed it there. You have to live the learning. And it, it makes me think of a couple things. The stuff that you're talking about, I don't think anybody would disagree that that's what's needed and what they want. And yet there seems to be this, I'm going to call it an invisible barrier. I'm not even sure that's even the right context for it. But, you know, as we think about this deeper learning, we think about this living the learning, you know, and not just being maybe like talked at or told to do this. Um We've got like this friction happening in education from from my perspective, and it's clearly just uh, where I see things. It doesn't mean that I'm right or wrong, where we know we live in a society where we can hand pick and choose and customize our shoes, clothing, whatever. We can, you know, this kind of like in the need, I can pretty much get whatever I want, however I want it, whenever I want it, if I have the means. And we 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 know that as societies that way, education still kind of feels static. It's not that way. And this idea of competencies is not a new concept, yet it still seems earth shattering to so many of the systems. Um, and yet that's something that we want. But there's like so many times in these conversations on the show, I, I use this word permission. So maybe how I want to frame this up a little bit is, you know, as as we see this work that you're talking about, this competency, this deeper learning, this living the learning. So it doesn't become one more thing. How do we give ourselves permission to like move into this work? Because I feel like that's where the friction is. There's, yes, I want that. I want it on my own time, this, that, and that. But yet the system still operates this way. And when push comes to shove, I get stressed. I'm actually going to resort back to that methodology, even though I don't like it. And I think we have the adults losing engagement in their own kind of lifelong learning process because it doesn't work, but we don't feel like we have permission to do it. And we see it with kids uh, and we're watching it happen. And it's not because people don't care. It's like, how do we get out of it? And so what are your thoughts or your insights or, or how Learning Couture is working through that, navigating that? I mean, what are you seeing with that? So these types of changes, people see as it working and not becoming, oh, it's one more thing I got to think about on top of this already static thing that's already causing me too much stress? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's a great question. And I think as, as we've already mentioned, educators are working harder than they ever have before because of all of the things that came out of the pandemic. Um, and, and it's deeply personal and hard work, right? So I, I'll, I'll kind of go a couple different directions. One is going to yeah. be a, something that's tangible, right? Like what could I, what's a thing we could do, right? Which people are looking for, um, something that's like sort of obvious and can manifest physically, right? And so I'm going to talk a little bit about portrait of a graduate or profile of a graduate or profile of a learner. There's lots of things that this is called. Uh, there's multiple organizations around the country that do this work. It's not unique to the work we do with Learning Couture. 
Um, but it's something that is um, really helps operationalize or make happen that deeper learning piece because it prioritizes a set of competencies um, that are top level, front of mind, whether I have a preschooler or a 12th grader in my system, I'm helping them develop these. Um, so it's, it's a very concrete way to enter the work um, and not make it feel like one more thing, because if it's how we do business and it's how we're driving our strategic planning at the district level, but it's also how I'm planning my lessons to build in experiences for learners that help them improve their collaboration or help them engage in problem solving, then it's, it's both, um, macro, right? It's driving our school improvement, but it's also micro at the classroom level. Um, the movement toward a portrait is grounded in the idea that we need to lift these adaptive competencies, these competencies that are valuable anytime and anywhere within and beyond school, and make them like our North Star is one kind of analogy. I like to call it a sieve. It's something we put on top of everything we do. And if it doesn't go through the sieve and say, yep, it's this is in service of our portrait, then we don't do it, right? It's not, not in service of the kind of learners we want um, living within our system and leaving our system when they graduate. So it's really getting down to like what it looks like, sounds like, and feels like for a learner to have those competencies and designing every part of the system to support that. Mission and vision statements sort of... Um, attempt to do that, right? They're very aspirational in, in what districts want to do, but they're not actionable in and of themselves. And the other key piece, Erin, is they're not created by the community. Portrait work is different because it's bringing in stakeholders from um, community members, parents and other caregivers. It brings higher ed partners, business industry partners, um, social service agencies, communities of faith, right? Students are on portrait of a graduate design committees teachers, uh, counselors, principals, all those folks are together in a design team that does several months of learning really deeply about the changing nature of living, learning and working um, in our society and in the world. And they come up with a set of competencies that go through a long process of feed forward and feedback from all the stakeholders within the school community and the community at large. So that doesn't happen really with mission and vision but it does happen with portraits. So when it's done, you have this buy-in, you know, that's been really cultivated over many months with many voices, right? Represented in that work. Um, and most importantly, learners that they're a part of that process. Um, and, and, and you end up with this set of competencies that yes, they could also become a poster on the wall. And then it's like a mission or a vision and it's, it's lovely, right? But not actionable. So what, what districts do then is to, to connect that with deeper learning is we build a continuum of experiential learning activities and, and deeper learning experiences within and beyond school from preschool through 12th grade um, that, that really helps them develop and demonstrate those competencies in increasingly hands-on ways. So think of you know, career connectedness you know, from preschool through 12th grade global goals oriented, right? Really thinking about the way that the world needs um, support right now and, and, and it needs help and how can we be part of that help in that space. And this gives purpose, right? That's bigger than school. It gives a purpose that connects with, with um, you know, with, with really how I'm going to function as a human being um, in my world. So I love that. So what what I'm hearing here is that there's there's lots of input, there's lots of voices that you know we're bringing more people to the table, which is good not just for for the planning and the thinking about what education learning should be, but it's good for diversity and equity and inclusion and all these things that we know. And so I think it's good to for a lot of 
lot of systems that go back to the drawing board and and really make sure we've got everybody at the table that needs to be there to think about what we need happening in our schools, not just for the sake of learning for the kids, but more for the community at large. And I'm going to say at large from a local lens for your, your town or your city or your community to your state, to national, to global, you know, I've, do some project work and it's like we did some things with with nasa and to think that these sixth graders are going to graduate i mean if everything goes according to plan can't predict the future and when they graduate there's going to be infrastructure and people living on the moon and so we have a hard time now with trying to figure out how to help ourselves be global citizens we're not very good at that right now but thinking about we got to be like like space citizens like this this whole just blowing up the whole notion of just even worrying about just earth in and of itself. So to, to bring that back to a, a concept that makes maybe more sense, you've used the word competency here a couple of times. These districts are going through this profile of graduate or however they, they label it in their state and area. They come up with these competencies. My first question is like, what is a competency for those that maybe aren't aware of it or they've heard the word, but maybe have a scratch your head on what it really means. And number two, like, what do we do with that when the system is still operating and grounded in the principles of a factory model system? So we hear these things, we think it's good. I'm thinking about a, you know, a teacher or the people who maybe don't have the power to move the levers. And I think part of that is bringing all the community together is probably part of that answer. I hear it, what is it? And then like, what can I do about it? And why is it important that that, that we, we rethink some of these systems that I feel education has been talking about time and time and time again. And yet here we are, as you said earlier, well into the 21st century, still having these conversations. Yeah, and I appreciate the distinction there too, because portrait of a graduate or profile ends up with a set of competencies and those might be five or six and there's something, like I said, like critical thinking, creativity, um, and each one of those, each district builds some descriptors for that. So they would have several um, indicators, like critical thinking is one, and usually critical thinking comes, actually, I've never facilitated where critical thinking doesn't come up um, in a district. And the reason that it does is in part because it's missing from our workforce. Um, so part of the, the portrait process is really getting connected with your uh, community of work around you, business and industry, and finding out what skills are missing in applicants and how do we build those skills so students are um, becoming really good fits for these awesome companies that we have in our in our communities and they stay right and they they stay members of our community because they they're valued and they are valuable right so critical thinking would be an example competency and you can have those competencies with a portrait and not be competency based so that idea is that that a competency has high leverage and it has value 5 and 10 years from now um, in any in any con uh, any construct, right? So competency based ed is takes that a step further. So it's not new. We had outcomes based education in the '80s and a range of personalized approaches since then. Different waves of that, um, but really we were never ready to take off with anything that was not bound to seat time or not bound to the walls of the brick and mortar, right, of schools until technology caught up, which is we, we are definitely there now. So we have that benefit. And it was around 2010 when all over the country, there was a shift to state level policies that actually opened doors for learning to happen anytime in any place without waivers. Um, it still met the requirements of, of what 
what counts as school, right? And that was, again, about 2010, a little earlier in some states and definitely after in others. Iowa was about 2012. Actually, um, when, when we came on board, we were one of the early um, states pushing that support to schools. And what they were doing is they were eliminating what's known as the Carnegie unit, right? Carnegie unit is the thing that we call in, in school seat time. You know, how, how, how much time does our, does our learner need to literally be in the seat during the day and during the school year um, to count, right, for credit for courses? Um, and this is the first time in our educational system's history that we were moving away from this, this unit the idea of what what is done look like it it's time right time is what done looks like not necessarily learning and how deeply learners learned or or whether they were able to transfer that learning right to something that was unique um, schools were designed over 150 years ago predicated on and in the image of the factory model right we have different disciplines we have math and english and science um, and we have first grade and we have second grade and we have third grade um, everything it, there's a bell system right um, it's it, the whole thing is a factory, right? We we don't we don't say that because it doesn't you know it's it's not very nurturing sounding, which is what we what we do in education. Um, and at the time it was built again a long time ago, right? It was we needed to produce factory workers, right? At that time we're in the industrial revolution. We needed a common set of knowledge and skills, so we batched kids by age and we put them in this factory model to learn how to be ready for a compliance based economy, right? Um, and that model has done well to make sure all learners are in school, right? We do we do that very well in the United States um, and other countries aren't able to do that. So we actually should be proud and you know, fortunate to know that we have a public education system that does um, educate all learners. We bring all learners to, to our schools, not just those with potential to go to university, right? Um, however, we're not guaranteeing the learning for all of those folks who come into our school, all those learners. So what competency-based education is doing, and it's growing, by the way, all over the country um, and all over the world, it's not something that's, you know, this too shall pass and is going to go away. It's actually expanding rapidly. Um, and it's it's focusing on learning instead of time and transferring that learning to novel situations instead of regurgitating facts and algorithms and theories, which is what school has been up until now. So it's really upending the way we do school. And, and the simplest way, again, is it's based on learning, not time. And it's that, that learning can happen anytime, any place, by any method and at any pace. That's what I think is really exciting, even though it feels like we're constantly, it feels like we're in quicksand. It feels like change hasn't occurred yeah, so it feels like, you know, change isn't always occurring rapidly in education. Um, I often joke, you know, it's not a joke. It's like we're like the sector that's like least likely to be proactive. We like to be reactive while other industries, you know, have to constantly, usually they have a bottom line and a dollar to keep everybody happy and moving. So they got to move with the times, you know, but the more and more I talk with people who are are doing work, whether it's the work that you're doing or in other locations, the momentum is really picking up and what often felt like these little, like maybe tiny bright spots here and there, we're starting to hear more and more stories of like the, the movements happening. I think COVID had something to do with that right, wrong or indifferent and what we learned and what we did well and not well. Um, you know, there's just the latest news articles, you know, people remote working is still highly uh, favored and successful. And yes, there's still people going back, but it hasn't resorted back to quote unquote normal. Uh, we're seeing these shifts of, 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 
of kids and things changing the dynamic and they want control of, of their learning. You mentioned technology. And so I want to get into, you know, the question of like how we get started with this. But before we do that, you know, you mentioned technology and I just think even on like a, a very quick disruption scale, I can't go a podcast here recently without talking about chat GPT or AI tools. And again, these have been around for a long time. It's just now they're, they're idiot proof for anybody to use and freely accessible. We're seeing that happen. You talked about time and that's what I see happening right now is these tools are what you could do for compliance for quote unquote seat time. Kids can now potentially knock out in mere seconds and minutes versus a whole block. And now what are we going to do? And I'm not saying chat GPT and those tools um, are the reason why we need CompSea based education, <laughs> but I think we're in this really interesting point where it's like, okay, what do I do? I'm just, do we block it, ban it, call it cheating? We fail you, we threaten so we can hold on to what we've done or here is another sign that we need to, to change a little bit. So I'm curious because I have to ask everybody, you know, like what are your thoughts? I mean, as you're trying to help people see the importance of this work, this anytime, anywhere learning, and now we have a disruptor, another disruptor like chat GPT, how are you seeing that play out? I mean, a lot of this is still we're early infancy stages. We're not even six months into this world of disruption, but are you feeling that impact? I mean, as you're trying to get up and running and getting people to understand this, these concepts that have been around for decades and now boom, here's something just to smack everybody in the face with another thing. What do you, what do, what are you seeing and feeling? Yeah. And, and, Absolutely. I don't think I can be in a conversation professionally anymore, or even personally, right, without it coming up in some regards. So it's it's already everywhere. Um, there's a couple things. So in competency-based ed and in that world and in the tribe that I have, right, that's in that work, um, we, we talk a lot about how we need continuous improvement in school. Like that's a really important foundation, uh, systems thinkers, right, all of that. We also need discontinuous improvement, which means there's been some disruptor put in place, mm -hmm. right? Competency-based ed is a disruptor in terms of it's blowing up seed time. That's something we've always taken for granted in schools. Chat GPT, other generative AI is that same kind of lever. Um, and it's it may seem threatening, as you mentioned at first, you know, learners will cheat, right? Sure, they'll cheat if you want to call cheating, um, you know, finding, you know, generating answers to something that maybe wasn't a valuable question to them. What they're doing is they're prioritizing their time they're not looking at it as how can I, you know, use this for malice, right? They're they're trying to figure out how to do the things that matter most to them. And, and right now, school may not be the thing or that question, right? Or that task may not be the thing that they have the most value for because it's not something they were able to co-design, right? It was something that was given to them. So it's a game changer because of its power to be able to set aside some of the compliance-based work that we've done with learners and help them go deeper. I'm going to Start with adult learners actually first because when any disruptor comes in the system they need to get their arms around that disruption and understand it before they can help learners right use something ethically and with purpose and with power so for adults ai is going to let us personalize the approach educators take in making changes in their classrooms um, with learning couture we're using it to help teachers create lesson plans with content that's embedded so if i'm an english teacher i'm a math teacher um, i teach a career in tech ed course I'm actually able to embed that content with authentic experiential learning by using the coaching capabilities within Learning Couture's platform, which is, you know, produced in part by generative AI. The idea that we can help 
fill in gaps for them, make suggestions from the research base that's been carefully curated so we know it has an effect size and an impact on our learners. Um, we don't have to have adults that are experts, right? They already know their content. They are experts in their content areas. They are teachers. Um, they have honed their craft. And we need to help provide them an expertise to make a shift from traditional sort of mindsets and approaches in the classroom to those that are more authentic and personalized, competency-based, experiential in nature. And that's hard. We mentioned this earlier. It's hard work and they're they're tired, right? Um, they want to do this, but it, it seems daunting. So we can actually help them be awesome and foster awesomeness, right? In their in their classrooms and in their communities by lightening that lift. That's the power. Um, and, and that's something that really helps you know, this behind the scenes work that educators are doing that nobody sees, designing lessons, designing experiences, connecting with experts, you know, you connecting folks with NASA, right? All of that is behind the scenes. You don't see that work. And we're going to make that work a little lighter um, and, and move them a little further down the path toward, you know, these authentic learning experiences. But again, as I said, once that's done and teachers kind of get used to how this generative AI can help make their lives easier, richer, more productive, then they're going to be able to transfer that to our young learners and um, focus more on that deeper learning piece I spoke about earlier, critical thinking, innovation mindset, collaboration, problem solving, and less time on having students get it right the first or second time, right? Because we're actually, we can fail forward. We can iterate faster. Um, we can we can wrestle with with bigger problems, bigger questions, because we don't have to spend our time on some of the minutiae that actually isn't exciting for teachers to teach either. They just need to because it's part of a, a basic foundation. So it's, it's gonna open all kinds of possibilities that I think are really positive, even though they can be a little um, daunting, you know, upfront. I love that, you know, and so as we kind of come full circle to this whole conversation from you thinking about genetics to being a high school language arts teacher to, seeing this work unfold in lots of different places and seeing it happen and working, like you said, walking side by side with districts, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about the the people listening to the show, um, listening and hearing these things and they're excited and they agree and they're nodding their head and they're saying, yes, that's what we need. It's the factory model needs to go all these types of things. You know, probably the most important question that I could ask through, through all of this, as we think about disruptors, like, chat GPT and everything else that, you know, whether it's it's forcing us or disruptors that maybe we should think about, maybe being the disruption ourselves. Um, you know, how do we get started with this? Because I feel like I've I've had so many incredible conversations, you know, and then it gets down to, okay, so now what? Like, I hear this, I agree, I'm on board, this is what I believe. I've been trying to figure this out my my whole career, whatever role I'm in. Like what do you what do you got? I mean, obviously, I know that's that's what you're trying to do. Uh, that's kind of the basis of your work here. I know that's kind of obvious, but you know, I think for for so many of us, it's what is that first step? What do what do we got to do to make this stuff happen? Yeah, for sure. And I think I'm going to talk a little bit systems level and a little bit classroom level, both. Um, and I'm going to, I mean, really, it's second or third order change, right? It's a big change for a lot of people. So we need to take it with sort of, you know, some some right-sized steps, right? That custom piece, that just right fit I mentioned before. So I'm going to I'm going to suggest that people focus on three three steps. 
So first is start with the why, right? And we've all heard of Simon Sinek's golden circle and, and the idea that, that why is so important. Um, portrait of a graduate, right, can provide that why, certainly. Um, and then design everything, track all success based on that why, right? Because that, that is the driver that helps build consensus far faster than the what or the how. And people oftentimes sort of say, well, but tell me about schedules. Tell me about, you know, what is the seat time thing? What policy needs to change? Yep, those things need to be addressed, right? But they're not the why. Schedules aren't the why. Seat time is not the why. Uh, the ratio of student to teachers is not the why. So, so getting at that why and making sure that adult learners, um, our teachers, our educators, our, our eventually our community members as well, find relevance in the change. Um, I did some really great work with, with Wendy Sir and Kim Carter, and it's, it's going to be linked in the show notes around um, helping teachers make the shift to equitable learner-centered systems. And one of the things we found in the research and in practice, uh, because we work with districts um, all over the country, is that you have to start with adults finding relevance and then becoming receptive to this change and then developing agency in the process so that they can help co-design, co-build that change rather than just be changed by it, right? That's really crucial. And when that step is skipped, um, then, you know, it's it's going to kind of, it's going to fall flat. It's a hard change and we have to build that. Um, if I'm a teacher and I'm, I'm a teacher or my classroom level, I can develop my own why, right? And maybe in Iowa, and you know this, you've worked with some educators who have the universal constructs as their why, right? And then they design everything they do through those constructs. You're still teaching the standards. You're still hitting that key content but you're doing it in service of becoming a creative individual. You're doing it in service of becoming productive and accountable, et cetera, right? Like a teacher can do that too. So number two, and this one is, um, I actually probably, well, it's a, it's a toss up between the one and the two. Build a network and a community um, that of local, national, international experts and practitioners. Um, having that tribe and leaning into the right supports at the right time is key to successful implementation. I um, Everywhere I go and talk about this, I really talk about the idea that we have to all have a tribe. Um, the tribe is what lifts us up. It's what protects us when, when people throw rocks, right? It's what, what helps us um, carry some of the weight when it gets heavy. It, it's who celebrates our wins. It's who's in the work with us. And so building that tribe is crucial. And our work at, at Learning Couture is partnering with state and school leaders um, to help provide thought leadership in some cases. And sometimes it's our web-based platform that helps them assess their current reality and prioritize entry points, right? Once they get past that why, and then personalize the journey for individuals and teams within the school and beyond the school community, right? And we help make that lift a little lighter, a little more clear because it's murky. How do we get from this factory model that we're all familiar with to this sort of unbundled learning, right? That can happen anytime and anywhere. And, and that's what helps our partners do what they do, be expert in their context and their people rather than in competency-based teaching and learning, right? We, we can carry that load and then hand it to them and help them integrate that in their strategic planning in, in right-sized places and pieces. And I would say number three, uh, and I, oh, number two is just as true for teachers, right? join things like right here, right? These these podcasts are helping build a tribe. So listen to podcasts like these, get a community on Twitter, right? Follow folks on Instagram that are posting awesome things, right? That they're doing in their classrooms. So just as important at the teacher level as it is right at the, at the system level. And number three, again, equally as true for both systems and then individual humans 
is to use an agile mindset and agile practices. Um, it's we, we sometimes we over engineer things in education, right? To to make everything go perfectly. But this is a five to 10 year change process. And, and people need to see successes along the way because that learning horizon is so far away, right? We can't see what done looks like. And we feel like we're not getting there because we want it all to change. And it, it's not overnight um, because we have this, you know, 150 year old system. Agile mindsets and practices allow us to iterate rapidly, fail forward, build successes and in increments um, rather than the, expecting the whole thing to be perfect with each effort that we put into the system. So, you know, the, those three key pieces, start with the why, you know, build a tribe and use an agile mindset. And I think those will be three great steps to kind of get you going and on your way. Well, I love that. And I appreciate you sharing those insights because I think it goes back to earlier in the conversation where this doesn't become one more thing. This kind of not necessarily becomes the thing, but it's it's woven into the fabric of 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 how education is going to go and education you know if we rethink it through the the factory model set we can actually truly get to that deeper learning and there's a quote i've been using quite a bit here lately once i've come across it and i think there's it, it's pretty fitting as we we kind of come to a to a close here and be respectful of your time but it comes from uh george seaman and i won't read the whole quote but the part that i think resonates a lot with what you've been saying today is changing education is hard simply because education is a system of systems this means that any one change cannot tilt the system in a new direction. But I think what you've got going here, and I think the challenge to our listeners is because we are in a system of systems, and yes, change does feel hard, we can be that gear, that spoke, that starts to be that catalyst to get things moving where it needs to be. Whether we're in a classroom and we're just rethinking the way we do practices without like you said, going rogue and we're still going to do all the things that the district is asking of us, but it can look and feel and kind of just sent the senses of, of being ignited and inquiry can look different. We're administrators starting to have those conversations where we could do some, some possible changes in levers, you know, and then like you said, bringing the whole community together, doing that profile work and truly taking a look at the system and go, what is best for our community? I think there's some opportunities. Yes, it's hard but it's not impossible. And it's this prime opportunity with a lot of things going on, a lot of feelings from a lot of people, a lot of stakeholders, whatever lens of perspective we want to look at it, whether that's students, parents, teachers, admin, whether that's the political system or the community, taxpayers, a lot of people are invested. And this is a prime opportunity to get those voices at the table to be the spark to create that change. And so I appreciate you being on the show. You've you've brought a lot of great insights to light, a lot of things for for people to think about. And I think it's it's always challenging as we think about change. But Andrea, if if people want to know more about you, they want to know more about learning couture, they want to figure out, you know, what are those next steps for them, or they want to reach out to you or follow your journey, you know, we'll have all that stuff in the show notes. But as I always say, people are at a red light and they're not actually driving. You know, I gotta put that safety feature in there. You know, and they want to start diving into the the rabbit trail of your work. Where 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 are some great places to get started? Yeah, there's there's um a couple of a couple of places they can go. We we have a, a website you can go and check out and learn more about Learning Couture, and it's just learningcouture.com. And again, that'll go 
in the show notes so that we can all make sure we we are learning how to spell couture if that's a new word. <laughs> and then uh, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn um, individually. Um, and then I'm also uh, learning couture is on LinkedIn. So that'll be in the show notes as well. So you can definitely, uh, it's Andrea Stewart in there. And I think my handle is AJS. It's not Andrea Stewart. So we'll make sure that we have that linked. And then Twitter. Um, and so on Twitter, I'm my handle is at AJS underscore Stewart. So you can follow me on Twitter as well. Um, and then we have a, an email. It's just solutions at learningcouture.com. And, and again, all of that will be there in the show notes. But um, definitely reach out if you have you know, questions or just want to share stories. Um, we, we, we would love to host and, and, and be able to post people's experiences on our website and share those with the world. If you want to blog or write an article or share an experience, um, we're trying to lift voices up in this work. And so Aaron, I just really want to thank you for, for having me today, because I, it, first of all, it's always a pleasure to um, dive into this important work and think about, you know, where can we find entry points to help people take the next right step. Um, but I think it's just, I'm excited to be connected with your audience. And um, I'm a, I'm a fan and I follow uh, your, your podcast and of course, everything coffee with the brain, but, or for the brain, but, you know, it's just, I think the more, you know, we're part of a tribe. And I think, again, I just really want to emphasize that as we close is, you know, keep building your tribe. And when you hear something like this, you hear a story that resonates, can add that person to your tribe. Social media, social media is a great way to do that. Um, and we can do it um, and be connected anytime and anywhere, just like, just like with CBE. I love it. Well, I appreciate you taking time. I know you're incredibly busy, hard at work, doing lots of things to uh, be here and have this conversation today. I hope it opens some eyes and challenges uh, some thinking. And I look forward to anybody uh, looking to get started or to share their journey that they're already on um, with you and all the amazing work that you've got going on. And uh, this is just one more dot on the map for people to start to connect other people doing this work and making it happen. It, it's it's not a, a fantasy. It's, it's happening where we're talking with Andrea or previous guests like Josh uh, Rapun, who's doing stuff out of Hawaii. And it's happening like this stuff is it's everywhere. Um, and, it, and, it, and it's time to start those conversations. So thank you so much for uh, joining me on the show today. Thank you. Woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Chaos.